Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clear these days it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries, and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. The scripture lesson for this sixth Sunday after Epiphany comes from the sixth chapter of Luke's Gospel, verses 20 to 26. Let us listen to God's word. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what your an their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. With those words, Jesus begins a time of focused instruction to the 12 men who've given up everything to follow him. Just prior to that scene, Luke, the gospel writer, has named all 12 of those individuals and then provided a glimpse of a moment when Jesus received wide acclaim, both for his teaching and for his healing. There was a great crowd that was present for that moment. And it's after that in the narrative that Luke tells us that Jesus gathers just with the 12 again. Think about it. After what they had just witnessed, surely they had many questions to ask him. I'm guessing that many of them didn't know each other all that well either as they just begun this journey together. And yet Jesus doesn't come with a time for debriefing of all that they have witnessed. He doesn't pair them off with, with open-ended questions as an act of team building. He starts to teach again. Blessed are you who are poor, he said, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, 
for you will laugh. He goes on to speak of a blessing upon them in the moments that they find that others hate them and exclude them and revile them and demean them because of their connection with him. He says, rejoice in that moment and, and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. I'm guessing at that moment there were some puzzled looks on the faces of the disciples, but Jesus isn't finished. As he goes on to speak of woes or hardship that will be upon those who are rich now, those who are not hungry, those who are laughing now, and those who are receiving public acclaim. And when he is finished with those words, I am imagining, even though Luke doesn't tell us, that some of those disciples really began to wonder what they had signed up for. It's a challenging set of instructions. And before we dive more closely into hearing what Jesus might be saying to us through them, we need to be clear that this is not the same as that other moment that we refer to as the Beatitudes. That moment of instruction from Jesus is found in Matthew's Gospel. And in it, Jesus offers nine blessings without any warnings, whereas here he has four blessings and four woes that are the direct opposite. There's a different tone between those two moments of instruction, too. For here Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, while in Matthew's account Jesus says, blessed are you the poor in spirit. Here he says, blessed are you who are hungry, and in the other sermon, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This passage isn't a spiritualized kind of blessing that Jesus is talking about, but rather to people who will face literal, physical, and spiritual hardship. The two sermons inform one another, but they are not the same. With that as a point of clarification, we turn to hear his message on that day, just to the twelve, a message that can be a source of comfort or discomfort, depending on where we are seated. For instance, when he says, blessed are you who are poor, and later says, woe upon you who are rich, those words will be very, heard very differently by some of our guests last night in our homeless shelter versus those who were there to help him. When he said, blessed are you who are hungry and woe to those who are satisfied, that is received very differently, I think, for most of us in this room. When he speaks of a day of laughter for those who are mourning, certainly that is a word of encouragement. But then for him to go ahead and speak of how those who are laughing now will face hardship is an unsettling kind of message. 
Perhaps it is that, that final pairing that Jesus offers on that day. When he speaks of times when individuals are hated or reviled, that pushed aside is one that is more universally heard as a source of encouragement, for I think many of us have had moments like that over the years. And yet whether or not we hear this message as one of good news or hard news, what Jesus is in fact speaking of is this great reversal that will happen when the kingdom of God is fully experienced on earth. He's talking about how in that moment, these human understandings of economics and food distribution, human understandings of loss and, and fame will be turned upside down. He's telling those first disciples, surely as an act of preparation for them, that there will be some hard days ahead as they seek to follow him. And yet, is the message only one of sticking it out in those difficult times while waiting for the day when things will finally be better? Fred Craddock, who is a renowned preacher and scholar of the last century, deals with that very question in a commentary on this text when he says, does this mean that this entire passage is descriptive of a condition still in God's future? Luke's answer, he says, is yes and no. Both the blessings and the woes are anchored in the present. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And woe to you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Both of those conditions are realized, he said, not promises for the future. However, in blessings and woes two and three and four, now is contrasted with you shall, clearly indicating future fulfillment. The joining of present and future, he says, reminds us that the reality of the end of the time is already beginning with the advent of Jesus. The prophecy concerning the poor, the diseased, and the oppressed is no longer a hope, but it is an agenda for the followers of Jesus. In other words, to hear Jesus speak of the kingdom of heaven is not simply something to which we cling, knowing that that day will come, but rather that we are to be engaged in the hard work now of drawing closer to what God envisions. It does not mean that we simply take comfort in knowing that when Jesus returns, all will be as God intended it from the beginning, but rather that we are involved in that hard work now. It does not mean that creation will ever get fully to where God has intended for it to be, at least not until Jesus comes back. Nor does it mean that any one of us has absolute understanding of what has to be done, for it is clear that we have much to learn from those who face injustice and hardship now. And yet it does mean that despite that human dilemma that we all know, that we busy ourselves 
withdrawing creation closer to what God wants it to be, but to do so with what might be described as a kind of cultural humility. A couple years ago, a book came out entitled When Helping Hurts. And its basic premise is that there are all kinds of poverty in human existence. And at one point, one of the authors speaks of a time when that became vividly clear again for himself. One Sunday, he said, I was walking with a staff member through one of Africa's largest slums, the massive Kabira slum of Nairobi, Kenya. The conditions were simply inhumane. People living in shacks constructed out of cardboard boxes. Foul smells gushed out of open ditches, carrying human and animal waste. I had a hard time keeping my balance, he said, as I continually slipped on the brown substances that I hoped were mud, but feared were something else. Children picked through garbage dumps, looking for anything of value. As we walked deeper and deeper into the slum, my sense of despair increased as he thought to himself, this place is completely God-forsaken. Then to my amazement, I heard the sound of a familiar hymn. And he thought to himself, there must be Western missionaries conducting an open-air service in here. As we turned the corner, my eyes landed on the shack from which the music bellowed. Every Sunday, 30 of the local dwellers crammed into this 10 by 20 foot sanctuary to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The church was made out of cardboard boxes that had been opened up and stapled to studs. It wasn't pretty, but it was a church made up of some of the poorest people on earth. When we arrived at the church, he continued, I was immediately asked to preach the sermon. As a good Presbyterian, I quickly jotted down some notes about the sovereignty of God and was looking forward to teaching this congregation the historic doctrines of the Reformation. But before the sermon began, the service included a time of sharing and prayer. I listened as some of the worshipers cried out to God, Jehovah Jireh, please heal my son as he is going blind. Another prayed, Merciful Lord, please protect me when I go home today, for my husband always beats me. Sovereign King, please provide my children with enough food today as they are hungry. As I listened to those people praying to be able to live another day, he thought, I then pondered my ample salary, my life insurance policy, my health insurance policy, my two cars, my house. I realized that I do not really trust in God's sovereignty on a daily basis, as I have sufficient buffers in place to shield me from most economic shocks. I realized that when these people pray the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, their minds do not wander 
as mine so often does. I realized that while I have sufficient education and training to deliver a sermon on God's sovereignty with no forewarning, these people were trusting in God's sovereignty just to get them through the day. And I realized that these people had a far deeper intimacy with God than I probably will ever have in my life. On a day long ago, Jesus promised the coming of the kingdom of God when there will no longer be cardboard houses or cardboard churches. He talked of a time when no longer will children be looking through dumps, nor will there be ditches with foul smells. He told of a day when no longer will people grieve or will they be pushed aside. All of that will end when God's eternal realm starts. But we are not there yet. So until that day, we are to continue to work for economic justice and the end to hunger. Until that day, we are to continue walking with those who grieve and those who have been pushed aside. And until that day, those of us for whom Jesus' words bring discomfort are reminded that we have much to learn from those for whom his words bring only hope. All in such a way that we will work toward making this world ever a bit closer to God's intention now giving a glimpse of what one day it will be. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for those moments when our efforts join with yours, draw creation closer to your intention. We pray that you will give us eyes of faith and spirits of courage that we might continue in that vital effort, even as we wait for that moment when you make all things new. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love.